What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Live from Liverpool, the dark paranormal, season two. Hello once more, and welcome to episode three of the dark paranormal. I'd like to thank each and every one of you who took the time to get in touch with comments and feedback regarding our first two episodes about Amityville. Now always, without a question, without a shadow of a doubt, these topics can stir emotions in people. Although we all listen to shows such as this one, to find out more information about the paranormal and to see if it tallies with what we personally believe, there will be certain cases such as Amityville. Take, for example... Two excellent emails I received last week following the Amityville Uncovered episode. Firstly, we had Tracy, who delivered some excellent rebuttals to the Amityville story. And indeed, as is largely considered to be the case, let me know in no uncertain terms, it's considered a hoax. It was a brilliant email, and it brings up conversation and dialogue about the paranormal. On the other side of the spectrum, we had an email from Steve, who said he's always believed the Lutz's version of events, ever since he read the Amityville Horror over 30 years ago when he was a small boy. Where do I sit on the Amityville Horror? Well, I try to be as impartial as possible on this show. I have previously stated my opinions on the Amityville Horror. On my other show, we need to talk about ghosts. And let's just say that there are several holes in George and Kathy's story that you don't need to look too hard to uncover. And that's being polite about the situation. However, when I started The Dark Paranormal, I wanted it to be presented impartially. And that's why for season two, that we're now on episode three of, with each alternate episode, I will first give a version of events of the ghost or paranormal story 
as is known. And the following episodes will be not necessarily a rebuttal of that story, but it will certainly see how that story stands up in the face of some cold, hard facts. As ever, I leave it to you as the listener to decide if you believe what you hear from both the storytellers and the doubters. You may even decide part is true, part is not. And that's often how we're left after such cases. What I don't wish to do, and is not the purpose of these episodes, is to change anyone's viewpoint. I simply wish to provide information. What you do with that information in regard to your overall outlook on the paranormal is entirely as ever down to you. For full disclosure, as some people have quite rightly pointed out in the first episode, The Amateurville Horror, there may be some, shall we say, dates or names which have been altered or changed or may not stack up with the research you do yourself personally. And I'll be perfectly honest, that's because I wasn't there at any of these hauntings. And in truth, none of us were. So I, like yourself, am taking all my research from that wonderful World Wide Web. Yet as wonderful as it can be, it is also, as we all know, exceptionally flawed when it comes to giving consistent information. That said, I do want the episodes to be as factual as possible, and obviously as close to the original story as they can be. So, if you do notice a discrepancy, or something which you think completely changes the narrative which I've spoke about on the show, feel free to get in touch and let me know. That email address is thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com and that's also the same email address that you can send your stories to for Season 3 of The Dark Paranormal. Season 3 will start recording after Episode 10 of this season and we will revert back to listener stories. And don't forget, to support the show, you can join our Patreon. Dependent on the tier of Patreon that you join, you can get anything from early access to the episodes, right up to scripts used on the show and links to research notes. And with that said, I'd like to say thank you and welcome to our two newest Patreons, Claire Alexander and Edward Cortinas. It's through the support of wonderful people like you two that hopefully will let this show have a long and successful life. And for that, I'm truly thankful. Now, in today's episode, we take a look yet again at a dramatised version of one of the most famous hauntings in modern history. Today's case is arguably the most single impactful haunting in the last century. This is the true story that inspired one of the most successful horror films ever made. I am, of course, talking about The Exorcist. The story you're about to hear is where William Peter Blatty drew his inspiration from to write his 1971 novel. If you listen closely, you will make out clearly the spine which makes up the film version of The Exorcist. There are subtle changes in the actual version, though. The main one will become quite clear. Our lead protagonist is no longer a young little girl. It is, in fact, a young little boy, who, dependent on which version you read, was either known as Roland Doe or Robbie Mannheim. 
to lose the missing person aspect of the anonymous Roland Doe, we've decided for our version of events to go with Robbie Mannheim. And this is Robbie's story. The true story of The Exorcist. A revulsion of all things holy or sacred. Speaking foreign or ancient languages of which there was no prior knowledge. A sudden supernatural strength disproportionate to the body of the possessed person. Knowledge of the hidden and unknown, such as personal details of people unknown to the possessed person. This is a list of the criteria which, to the Catholic Church, prove someone has fallen to demonic possession. The first time I prayed for a truly possessed person, I put the crucifix on that person's head and they slithered right out of the seat like a snake. That was Roman Catholic exorcist, the Reverend Thomas J. Utenier. Cottage City, Maryland, 1949. Summer had taken over spring. The trees which lined the streets were once again booming with life. The sound of children playing in the streets filled the air on evenings like this. Young Robbie Mannheim shut his window. He was never asked to go and play with the children of the neighbourhood. And that suited him just fine. Being liked was not high up on his priority list. He had his books, his family. He had enough. Plus, tonight was going to be a fun night. Aunt Harriet was due to arrive. Aunt Harriet was Robbie's favourite person in the world. She, like him, had an air of the unconventional about her. She laughed at the things you shouldn't laugh at. She asked the questions people were too embarrassed or afraid to ask. She made Robbie believe anything was possible. Robbie heard the car pull up outside. Looking out of his window, he saw Aunt Harriet get out, wave up at him, and then remove a small box from the back seat of the car. Yes, Robbie said to himself. He knew it was a present for him. And he bolted down the stairs. Aunt Julia's here, he shouted as he ran to the front door. Hey, sweetheart, said Harriet. I got us a little game to play after dinner, she said and tapped on the box under her arm. It had no markings on the box, which just enticed Robbie Moore. He wolfed down his dinner that night, got up, pushed his chair in and in his best calm voice said, Aunt Harriet, I'm ready to play whenever you are and ran up to his room. What seemed like an age later, Harriet knocked on his bedroom door. This was another reason she was his favourite. She treated him like a person. She would knock a little rhythm, tap to tap tap, and wait for Robbie to say, Come in! Come in! shouted Robbie excitedly. Make some space on the floor, said Harriet, sitting down and opening the box. Robbie thought at first it was a learning game. There appeared to be the alphabet written in big letters across it. This 
is a Ouija board, Harriet said, placing it flat on the carpet. We take this piece, this is called a planchette, and we place it here on the board. Then we both place a finger on its edge. Why? asked Robbie. Well, if it works, you get messages coming through, spelt out, replied Harriet. Messages from who? questioned Robbie. The dead, said Julia in a growl, pulling a scary face and leaning in. Robbie laughed and placed his finger on the planchette. Spirits, please come forth and give us a message, said Harriet. Robbie looked at Harriet with a grin, expecting her to start laughing too. She had her eyes closed though, and seemed serious. So naturally, Robbie done the same. Nothing happened. Harriet asked a few more times, and still the planchette did not move. They must be all out for the evening. It's a nice night, she joked. The next morning, before school, Robbie tidied away the Ouija board. It wasn't the most exciting toy he's ever received, and although Aunt Harriet said he could play it alone, he'd feel kind of silly just asking questions out to no one in particular. It was another hot, hot day, and once the final bell rang, Robbie slowly walked home. Lost in his thoughts, he looked up. Is is that Aunt Harriet? He thought. It looked like her, stood halfway up the street, smiling and waving at... A school bus drove past, obscuring his view. When it moved, Harriet was gone. Robbie couldn't work out where she would have went to. Well, maybe it wasn't her. He looked behind him to see if there maybe was another kid that could have been the recipient of the wave. But he was alone. Getting to his home, he noticed there were a few more cars than usual parked near the house. He was checking them out when his mother opened the front door. Robbie, come quick, darling. She looked upset. The next few hours were a daze for young Robbie Mannheim. Harriet had died through the night. His world fell apart. Through a haze, a series of crying adults hugged him, or crouched to his level and said phrases like, She went quietly, or She's in a better place now. Like somehow that would make it all better or bring her back. Robbie went to his room and sat on the bed, staring into space. He'd cried so much he was cried out. He'd reached that hollow point of grief where nothing carries any meaning anymore. And then his vision focused on the box on the top of his wardrobe. He jumped up and snatched it down, throwing the lid away and emptying the contents onto the carpet. Placing a finger on the planchette, he said, Aunt Harriet, it's Robbie. Nothing happened. Aunt Harriet, please, it's Robbie. Nothing again. Robbie sighed and was about to remove his finger from the heart-shaped pointer when tap to tap tap. Robbie looked at the bedroom door. He waited a heartbeat, then quietly whispered, Come in. The planchette slowly began to move. 
Well, listen, I've arranged for pest control to come in this afternoon. We have rats behind those walls, said Robbie's father, John, to his wife, Mary, who was tidying away some magazines. Good God, John, we keep a clean house. How could you even think such things? Well, didn't you hear them scratching and rummaging through the night? I could barely get any sleep. Mary angrily placed the final magazines neatly in the rack, while I slept like a log, she said, dismissing John with a wave and walking into the kitchen. Well, they'll be here around 2pm. I'll speak to you later, said John, picking up his coat and heading out to work. Mary watched as the red transit van pulled up outside her home, and she walked out to the hallway to open the front door. Mrs. Mannheim, I hear you have a rat problem. Mortified, Mary hurried the man into the hallway, checking to see if any nosy neighbours had heard that comment before shutting the front door and composing herself. Well, my husband believes we have rats in the walls. She led the pest controller up the stairs to the bedroom landing. This is our bedroom. That's our son's bedroom. And this is the wall he heard the scratching from, said Mary, pointing at the wall, which separated the two rooms. I see, said the man, placing his satchel of equipment down. You see, the issue is... Scratch. Mary put her finger to her lips and pointed at the wall. Scratch, scratch. The man scooched down to one knee and turned his head closer. Scratch, scratch, scratch. They both remained dead still, trying to amplify their hearing. After a few minutes passed without further sound, the man removed his cap and scratched at his head. See, what I was going to say is, the issue is, this wall, it's solid. It's a load-bearing wall. There ain't no cavity in that wall for a rat to even be in. What do you mean? asked Mary. So we don't have rats? Well, not in that wall you don't, stated the man. Well, where's the sound coming from then? We both heard it, Mary said, mildly frustrated. Well, well, your son's in the next room. Maybe he's scratching from his side. My son's in school, exclaimed Mary. No, no, someone's in that room. They pulled the curtain back and watched me as I pulled up, the man said, returning the cap to his head. No, I promise, said Mary, walking out and opening Robbie's bedroom door to reveal the empty room. Well, ain't that something, said the man. Listen, lady, whatever you have here, it ain't rats. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. 
Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. So we don't have rats. You should be happy, said John later that evening, tucking into his dinner. I, I guess, said Mary, drying a dish while staring at Robbie at the table. And you definitely didn't play hooky from school today. No, Mum, I promise. Ask the school if you don't believe me. In fact, today, I found a slant in the classroom floor. How do you mean, son? asked his dad. My chair, it kept slowly sliding across the floor. I swapped seats, but it still kept happening. The teacher thinks there's a slant in the school, so they're getting it checked out. Fascinating. John sarcastically replied, rubbing Robbie's head to mess up his hair. Stop it, Dad, shouted Robbie. Bang. The empty chair opposite Robbie flew back against the wall. John jolted back. Did you just kick that? Bang. The same chair, several feet away from anyone in the room now, slid with force across the floor, forcing itself into the corner of the kitchen. Stunned, the three members of the Mannheim family stared in silence at the chair. Robbie, go to your room, muttered John. But I haven't... Robbie, go to your room, John shouted. As Robbie stood, boom. The entire house shook, a deep, vibrating shake, as if the entire house had dropped a few inches lower. Robbie stood up, seemingly unaware of this last noise. He placed his chair under the table and walked up to his room. What was that? asked John to his wife. John, we, we need help. That was, that, that felt un, unholy. Mary was a very religious person. She took her Lutheran faith seriously. And although not one for ghost stories or the supernatural, the recent events had been gnawing at her, ringing a little alarm bell in her heart that something wasn't quite right. I'm going to speak to Robbie. He must be terrified, said Mary, leaving John in the kitchen. Mary knocked on Robbie's door. Aunt Harriet? replied Robbie as Mary slowly walked in. She stopped in her tracks, eyes wide, mouth open. Robbie had both his fingers on the planchette of the Ouija board. But this wasn't what shocked her. You see, behind Robbie, the picture frame which held a picture of Aunt Harriet and normally resided on his bedside shelf, was floating in midair, moving from side to side in an arc as if waving to the now-retreating Mary. "'I see,' said the pastor, 
making his final notes before removing his glasses and placing them next to his coffee, Reverend Luther Miles Schultz had an interest in psychology. And this story from Mr. and Mrs. Mannheim, he was sure, was just a snowball effect of a family failing to deal with the grief of the passing of a loved one. It certainly sounds like both you and Robbie have been through an ordeal of late, began Schultz. I've a suggestion. Let the boy stay with me for a night. I'll monitor him, do some personality tests. Perhaps you could both do with a good night's sleep also. The pastor smiled. I'm sure there'll be a completely rational explanation. I hope you're right, said Mary, dabbing at her teary eyes with a handkerchief. And so, with a small bag packed, Robbie entered the home of Reverend Luther Miles Schultz. Schultz liked the boy, and they quickly developed a good rapport. Nothing jumped out to him about Robbie's behaviour. He had the same attitude, outlook, interests of most boys his age. In truth, everything was so normal that Schultz had almost forgotten the reason for Robbie's stay. That reason came flooding back to him around an hour after Robbie had went to sleep in the guest room. Scratch. Scratch. Schultz put his book down and stood up. He walked to the wall of the guest room. Scratch, scratch. His pulse raced. But being a rational man, he composed himself and quietly entered the room. Scratch, 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 scratch. Louder now. He faced the wall the noise was coming from, placing his ear against it. Creak, creak. A new sound, not from the wall, but from the centre of the room. He turned and caught Robbie's bed, moving. But Robbie was asleep. The bed picked up pace. Creak, creak, creak. Schultz hurried over and scooped up the still-sleeping Robbie. The bed stopped moving immediately. Although, the lights now began flickering. Bewildered and still holding the sleeping Robbie, Schultz kicked the bed. It was as sturdy as he thought. Still convinced there was a rational explanation, Schultz placed Robbie on the couch and went back to the bedroom setting up a makeshift bed out of a comforter on the floor next to the bed. He returned to get Robbie, scooping him up, taking him back into the guest room and placing him gently on the comforter. In the blink of an eye, the comforter, with Robbie on it, seemed to be pulled under the bed frame and an immediate metallic thud sound began quickly repeating, thud, 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 thud. Schultz dropped to his knees and looked under the bed. The cause of the sound was now clear, as he seen Robbie's head repeatedly hitting the bed springs with force, seemingly somehow still asleep. His name is Father Hughes. I've fully briefed him and he's expecting you at the Georgetown University Hospital. Schultz informed the Mannheims after explaining to them what he'd witnessed the previous night, and that this was something the Roman Catholics had more experience in dealing with 
I'm, I'm at a complete loss, but I'm confident they'll have some answers for you. And so, John and Mary took Robbie that same day across town to Georgetown University Hospital, where they were met by an eager, if somewhat nervous, Father Hughes. I can secure a room here for Robbie. I'll carry out some psychological assessments and see if there's anything further we may need to do, explained the priest, doing his best to offer a reassuring smile. You go home. Try to relax. This is a safe and secure environment. There's no cause for concern here. Reluctantly, Mary and John headed for the car. Mary stopped, told John to stay, and walked back to the priest. Father, I want you to do an exorcism. I'm sorry? I want you to do an exorcism. Well, it's not as simple as that. You see, Father, my son needs an exorcism. I give you my full permission. Whatever you need to do, just please do it. Father Hughes was unsure of what to say. He just kind of mumbled a, I'll see what I can do, and headed inside to the hospital reception. Just a few hours later, Father Hughes was wishing he had never agreed to help the family, as he stood, panting, covered in sweat, after finally managing to restrain Robbie to the hospital bed. The 14-year-old boy had shown the strength of 10 men, as he'd fought off both Father Hughes and his two assistants numerous times over the space of the last hour. Growling at them in an unearthly voice before laughing in a high-pitched cackle over and over again. This wasn't normal. This wasn't natural. Father Hughes composed himself, thumbed the crucifix on his chest and began saying the Lord's Prayer. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy He was pushed back. A shooting pain ran across his chest and shoulder. He glanced down. He he was bleeding. Something had sliced across his chest like a knife. He looked up to see a broken wrist restraint and his two assistants trying to wrestle a piece of bedspring out of Robbie's left hand. Finally, a third person came in with a sedative and Robbie slowly lost consciousness, chuckling to himself as he'd done so. Thankfully, Father Hughes' injuries were not life-threatening, only requiring minor stitches. He contacted the Mannheims to suggest they keep Robbie in hospital, explaining that he was awaiting a decision from the church to carry out the exorcism. John and Mary reluctantly agreed, and stated they would bring some fresh clothes to the hospital for this elongated stay. On the drive to the hospital, they barely spoke to each other, However, Mary had something she'd been wanting to say. My brother's a Catholic, she said, letting it hang in the air. I know Bill is, Mary, replied John. Well, he said we'd be looked after in his parish and that we should go and stay with him. It's a Catholic community. He said it's the best place for Robbie to be. John stayed quiet and gripped the wheel tighter. Mary's brother Bill didn't like John. He never had. He was always trying to come to his little sister's aid, even when, 
according to John, she didn't need it. St. Louis is too far for us to go, said John, again letting his reply hang into the oncoming silence. Mary knew that would be his response, but things were coming to a head. On one side, it was going to crack. Father Hughes met them in reception. His face was gaunt and carried an almost permanent shocked expression. Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Mannheim, please come this way. Mary and John looked at each other as they followed the priest. Your son Robbie has been sedated for the last 24 hours now, said the priest, pushing doors into corridors, into more corridors. He hasn't moved, and no one has touched him. I need to let you know no one has touched him. John raised an eyebrow. It's a strange gambit to open with. To state no one's touched him. His head started spinning with assumptions. Had this priest took liberties with his own son in retribution for the bedspring incident? John's pace quickened as they approached the doorway, and John pushed past the priest to enter first. Robbie was lying on the bed, restrained, but otherwise peaceful and at rest. Father Hughes's face still looked fraught, however. As he approached the bed, he placed the folder he was carrying to one side and asked the Mannheims to join him at Robbie's bedside. I'm, I'm going to show you something now. I've no idea what it is or what it means. It's something I've never seen before in any patient, spiritual or otherwise. He slowly removed the bedsheet to reveal Robbie's stomach. Part 2 of The Exorcist, The True Story, will be out next week. Also on that episode, we'll take a look at some of the facts of the case and see, once again, how they stand up to scrutiny. Thank you as ever for joining me on The Dark Paranormal. As a reminder, you can get in touch with us by emailing thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com And don't forget... You can support the show by going to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal. Until next time, thank you for suspending your disbelief and taking the time to join us here at the dark paranormal. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.